The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. Happy 4th of July to you. Isn't it great uh, to be in uh, a land that celebrates some measure of freedom? Maybe we're not as free as we once were, and some people's eyes were freer than ever. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe not. But nevertheless, we're not going to get into politics today. We're not going to do that. This is our lane to be free from all of that. So we got a lot to talk about today. Got a little baseball recruiting traffic. His uh, state picks up a couple of uh, official declarations yesterday, a junior college pitcher and a portal catcher. We'll uh, kind of get you up to speed on that. And uh, I'm almost done with the book. A lot of people have asked about that. A lot of support uh, for the new book. I'm about two chapters away from being finished. So we'll see. You know, it's like, I begin this process, and sometimes I wonder, okay, how's this going to go? Where's it going to go? And this one has been easy to write in many respects because I don't have to do a ton of fact-checking, right? It's my own life, right? Uh, and that's one of the things that I've learned, too, is that if you outlive your critics, you're the one that gets to write the book, right? So, uh, so here we are. But uh, it's been great, and I'll tell you, I had a chance to, uh, to talk to a long-lost friend, Kevin Savello, this week. I hadn't talked to him in about 25 years, at least. And uh, Kevin, of course, was the lead singer of the band Cervello that I was a part of for a, uh, a year or so. We had a great time, got in a lot of trouble. But, uh, you know, that's the, probably the most rewarding thing about this book, writing this book, is uh, being reminded that I have friends. You know, sometimes, you know, I don't know how it is for you, but sometimes I think, ah, oh, you know, there's nobody here. Nobody cares about this, whatever. That's just not true. It's just not true. I've had some great friends over the years. Probably got more friends today than I've ever had. I remember when I was a kid, they talked about when we were in school, you know, hey, you got more friends today than you'll ever have. Well, there's a difference between friends and acquaintances. We had a lot of acquaintances in school. I would submit to you, I have more friends today than I've ever had. Truly. You know, I, my, my circle is small, to be quite honest with you, and I keep my inner circle pretty tight. But that said, a lot of people out there done a lot of amazing things for me, and I'm very grateful, very grateful. And uh, looking forward here in the days to come uh, to share with you the pre-sale link to buy When the Bottom Falls. And what that does, you don't get it before you get it in stores, but it ensures that you do get it. You do get a signed uh, copy, and uh, we'll get that out to you right away. Uh, so it's... Um, yeah, I have talking about that this morning. You know, you never know what to expect with this pre-sale stuff. You know, we always, hey, if you can do a few hundred, it's great. When we did Flim Flam, the first 24 hours that the pre-sale link was live, we pre-sold over 1,000 books. And when it's all said and done, we pre-sold just over 3,200 books. Pre-sale, which is phenomenal. Now, those don't count like on the bestseller list. I mean, you know, they, they, they have to go through certain bookstores to get on that list. And so uh, I don't know how this one will do. I know it's been very rewarding for me. 
And uh, it's one of those things I always told myself, you know, I need to write this book about recovery and about my path to recovery. There are a lot of things in this book that are very unflattering. To be quite honest with you, I've been very honest and open and transparent about a lot of things where I've made some mistakes in life. And uh, I've let my wife read it first before I've even sent it into the editing process. I said, hey, listen, if there's anything that you're uncomfortable with here, you let me know. There's not been a single thing. And she's the kind of person, she's like, I don't care what really happened before me. All I care about is what happened after me. Uh, and so, you know, that's life, right? But, um, yeah, there's a lot of things I don't like to talk about that I've written in this book. And here's the thing about that. You know, I've been uh, clean and sober now, what, 31 years, six months, and a week, something like that. And so the thing that I've learned about that is, is the things that we hang on to, you know, the things that we keep secret, we give them power to do that. And when you live life in such a way that nobody can hold anything above you, that, that's real freedom, regardless of what country you live in or the kind of job you have. When uh, you can live your life, you know, fr free from being exposed, that's a great way to live. And there are some people that just live as wide open as they can. They don't really care. You know, it was the time that was me too. But uh, there are consequences for living that way. They really are. But, um, yeah, it's a lot of stuff in here that um, many of you don't know. And uh, I would say the most rewarding part of this, though, is, you know, going through and, and you start, you know, I, I put on the music I listen to at certain points in my life, and that's the greatest time machine in the world. And I start thinking about this person and that person. I'm like, oh, well, this happened and that happened. And the more I wrote... You know, it's like the more my mind was kind of freed up to, uh, to dig into some of those memories. And some of this stuff is painful. I'm just, I'm just going to be honest with you. It's, it's very painful. And, and, and I've been very emotional at times. There, I, I wrote, um, I guess it was chapter 14. And uh, it was not a fun experience. And it is one of the most significant and traumatic things I've ever experienced in my life. And I was clean and sober when it happened. And that's the thing is when you don't have drugs and alcohol to kind of use as a crutch, you got to feel it. And that's the whole key to staying clean and sober is learning to process pain in a very healthy way. And I was the kind of person that, you know, I had any adversity in life, I'd just run. You know, that's what I did. Should have been a track star. Anytime something happened I didn't like, I'd just run. I'd go find something else to do or somewhere else to be or somebody else to be with. You know, I'd never face anything. And then... I got to a point in my life where the consequences got to be too much and I had to kind of face the mistakes that I'd made and I've shared this many times. I don't know if it's mine or I picked it up somewhere. I've been saying it for so long, but I was so far from where I needed to be that any step I took was in the right direction. And so here we are, you know, all these years later, clean and sober, got this big house out in the country, married my dream girl, got four amazing kids and uh, getting to live my dream in many respects and cover the greatest college football, baseball, and basketball programs in the country, in, in my estimation. There's nowhere other place I'd rather be. I'm not going to leave and go cover the Yankees or the Lakers or, you know, the Miami Heat or the Saints. You know, I, this is not a, a stop in the journey for me. I mean, this was always kind of the destination. Of course, I originally wanted to be a rock star, and that, that sent me to drug rehab. So this is a lot safer. So, but uh, from when the bottom falls will be out uh, this fall. And you think, man, Steve, it's already July 4th. It is. But unlike when we released Dogpile, when there was this national paper shortage, uh, they can turn it around in about five or six weeks. So we'll get this thing finished up and have it out to you uh, sometime late September, early October, and uh, plenty of time for holidays. And so I, I tell you this, 
I don't do a lot of, um, I guess in some ways I am a self-promoter, but uh, I don't do a ton of self-promotion for these books. But uh, of all the things that I've written, this is the most personal, and I think it's the most significant thing I've written. That includes Flim Flam and Dogpile. Because every family, in some respects, is impacted by addiction. And so if you know somebody that's in active addiction, I'd encourage you to buy the book. If you're a person that's in recovery, I'd encourage you to buy the book. I think it's one of those things that there there is just some authenticity in this that, um, you know, I think is very important. In many respects, I'm kind of naked in front of the world here. And a lot of that is to establish credibility with the still-suffering addict. There are a lot of people that see the finished product or what they think is the finished product, and they say, Oh, it's been so long since Steve's been involved in all this. I mean, the thing about addiction is even when you're clean and sober, there are still things that um, there are behaviors that we exhibit that aren't necessarily healthy. And so that's a part of it, too, is learning to live with addiction in a healthy way uh, because I, I have an addictive personality. I mean, there was a time there we had, when I worked at Hogmeyer's Furniture in Columbia, Mississippi, uh, we, there was always somebody going to McDonald's. And I ate, that, I ate the same thing every day for like a month. Because I'm the kind of person, when I find something that works for me, good, bad, or indifferent, I kind of stick with it. And that's not always a healthy way to go through life. So I share that with you just because, again, there are a lot of people out there, a lot of families that don't have anywhere to turn or feel like they don't. And I, and I get at least two to three messages a week from somebody uh, because I, I am so open about recovery and things of that nature. Where they say, you know what, you know, my, you know, my kid's an alcoholic or you know, my wife's a drug addict or my husband's this and whatever. And uh, the reality of it is, is there's still such a stigma about this. And it's okay to ask for help. I mean, it sounds like a, a cliche. Uh, and, and probably the best analogy that I can come up with, and I wrote this in the book, is I basically set my own house on fire. And as the flames and the smoke began to build, I couldn't find my way out. It took somebody else to kind of break through and bust the door down and kind of get me out of there. You know, it was, you know, it was, a, I was a victim of my own demise. You know, it's like the, all of my bad thinking and bad decisions kind of led me to that point. And, and I was ready to die. And I tried to multiple times, but, but here we are and uh, proof positive that the 12 steps work and proof positive that, um, when you've had enough, you've had enough. And I think that's the most important thing to understand is that, you know, as bad as we want it for somebody else, they got to understand. That's not in, in to say that you can't be instrumental in them coming to that realization because it is important. Accountability is a huge part of this. People that have no consequences for their actions have no reason to change. But that's what it took for me. You know, we talk about, you know, drugs and alcohol lead you to one of three places, jails, institutions, and death. Well, I've done two and tried the third. You know, but here I am to tell the tale. And so I feel an obligation and responsibility to be able to share what God's done for me and what AA and NA have done for my life. And so, again, if you're a person or know someone that's impacted by alcoholism or, or chemical dependency, I encourage you to buy the book. All right, let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors for this show. I, I'm kind of addicted to the uh, Mississippi barbecue burger. I, I, next time I go in, I'll probably get something a little bit different. I'm kind of been thinking about those uh, sweet heat chicken slaughters. I like the sloppy Joe slaughters too. That's like it's a good lunch portion, right? Sometimes you don't want to overeat for lunch. Like you want something hearty and filling, but you don't want to be like need to take a nap in the afternoon. And that's what those sweet heat chicken slaughters and those sloppy Joe slaughters do for me. They top off and cure my hunger, and then kind of get me to the end of the day where I don't feel quite so sluggish. 
And uh, sometimes you just got to go in there and do the thing, man. Sometimes you got to go in there and get the pimentology, add bacon with the onion rings or that big order of fries and get that chocolate shake. And you got to go out there and just enjoy life a little bit. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Uh, got live music from time to time in Tupelo. Have the uh, tap takeovers coming up. Then a few of those this summer. Uh, got some more coming up. So be uh, listening for that in the days and weeks ahead. Because Bulldog Burger Company is a great place to go with your friends, your family, work, colleagues, whatever. They can take care of you. They can accommodate you. And again, get that chocolate shake to go. You'll be glad you did. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right. Pretty busy day over jeanspage.com yesterday. And the uh, weekend was kind of up and down. But busy day yesterday. Uh, and so it all started with uh, the commitment of... Junior college right-handed pitcher Gavin Black. Had a chance to talk to him yesterday. Let me kind of give you a skinny on him. So, uh, Gavin Black, a pretty good high school catcher, had a big-time arm, and that's kind of what sent him to, um, to junior college, right? He was a guy that maybe was somewhat of an unpolished prospect, but out of, out of Bogart, Georgia, uh, North Oconee High School there, or Oconee, I don't know how you guys say it in Georgia. But perfect game, even out of high school, had him as a nine. Now, the perfect game rankings and 50 cents will get you a cup of coffee at the old Delo truck stop because they only evaluate players that come to their events. That said, he went to an event and was given a grade of nine out of 10. 6'1", 185 pounds out of high school, Ended up going to Florida Southwestern State College. He was a D1 prospect, elected to go to junior college and kind of polish the game out a little bit. Shut up there as a catcher and a closer. And then last year became a pitcher only. Ended up doing some, um, some closing, some relief pitching, and eventually worked his way into the starting rotation. That's important to kind of understand too, you know. Uh, there's so much of this. You know, there are a lot of guys out there that just need a little seasoning, just need a little bit of seasoning. And junior college does that. You know, whether it be a guy needs to gain a little weight, when he needs to add a pitch, get some at-bats, that's a bigger part of all this. It's not as something as simple as, well, there's got to be something wrong with the kid. You know, maybe they're just not quite ready for D1 baseball. And if they sign with a D1 baseball program and then sit the bench for two years and all they ever do is work in the cage – and inter-squad games, they really get better. A lot of guys need to get live reps, and that was really the case. And uh, what's interesting about Black, too, it's a guy that's got 97 from the right side, got a wipeout slider. Um, he can change speeds a little bit. That's something we'll have to kind of work with him on. You know, and that's where I think that um, getting Justin Parker's big, too. The raw materials are here to be a very good pitcher. Is he a starter for us? I don't think so. I think he's probably a bullpen piece. And kind of looking at last year's numbers, uh, he appeared in 18 games. 18. And uh, he had, what's interesting is he had one at bat and he hit a home run. Hit a, hit a solo home run. His only at bat of the year. But uh, nevertheless, looking at the pitching numbers here, and there's some things here that may concern you, some things that should excite you. 36 innings pitched, allowed 23 hits, so well less than a hit per inning. 
16 earned runs, 24 walks. You know what? And, and we've been through this, right? We have to prioritize strike throwers. And so that's the one thing I look at and say, you know what? Mm, I don't know. And then the strikeouts are big, 43. 43 strikeouts in 36 innings. So well over a strikeout per inning. Yes, it's junior college, but this is in Florida. It's a pretty decent league out there. Uh, didn't give up a lot of extra base hits either. That's the thing I look at too. It's like, okay, yeah, okay, I got the batting average against is, is decent at 181, but the overwhelming majority of those are singles. He allowed one double and one home run. So 21 of the 23 hits allowed are all singles. So that tells me people aren't barreling him up. People aren't yanking him out of the yard. People aren't gapping him up. When they do get a hit, it's manageable. And listen, it doesn't look like this, uh, you know, this, this, uh, the Raiders you know, were an elite defensive team by any stretch. But uh, the walks are concerned. And, and you look at that, and a lot of these walks came you know, a little bit later in the year, and you got to wonder, is this a fatigue issue? I think a lot of it's just being a PO for the first time. Uh, ERA of four, and uh, just four wild pitches. He did hit eight batters, and you think, oh, well, Steve, he fits us. I get it. The raw materials there are very good, but we've got to do a very, a very a much better job here kind of redirecting him. The raw, again, the raw materials are good. I think when you watch – I had a chance to watch some scouting video yesterday. Uh, he is a guy that has a repeatable delivery, and there are some guys that we have had in recent years – that have kind of had a violent delivery where they're almost just kind of fighting the mound out there. The slope is your friend. That's one thing Justin Parker kind of talked about is being able to utilize that slope, get downhill, get under barrels. It's a big part of things. Uh, it seems like the last two years, all we've really done is prioritize the rise fastball and the slider. You know, that's how it looks. You know, and some of those guys can spot up a change, but uh, you know, our pitch selection has been at times a little bit questionable. But when you've got a guy like this that can throw 97 from the right side and throw that slider for a strike, and it looks like he's got a couple different variations of it. You know, he's got that tight slider that he can throw for a strike, and then he's got the big sweeping slider where he can get some swing and miss. And while it's technically both of them are sliders, the grip's a little bit different, and you throw it a little bit differently. Mechanically, it's a little bit different pitch. Uh, so he, he comes in with a two-plus two pitch mix. We'd like to have a three-pitch mix. And at times last year, I don't know, we had a lot of guys that can consistently throw three pitches for strikes. But uh, looking at Gavin Black. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest. And we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. 
Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let Nerd Wallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Kind of getting a little deeper here into the um, into the box scores here. You're kind of looking at his stuff here. You know, um, he had a really, really big game against Pensacola State College. He threw a no-hitter in that game. Now, it was a ended up being a five-inning game because they run-ruled him 13 to nothing. But uh, he goes five innings, uh, walks two, strikes out three. And so what that tells me is the guy that's putting the ball in his own, kind of pounding his own here, making guys get their hit their way on. And at times they did. But more times than not, he was a guy that was part of a winning effort. He went three and four last year, and people said three and four with a four-point ERA. Listen, I get it. I get it. But I think it's important to understand this is a guy getting some draft buzz, but the number's probably not going to be what he expected to be. So he'll come in, we'll develop him, and I'm eager to see what Justin Parker can do with him. This is the guy, too. Again, do I expect him to come in here and be a weekend starter? I don't. Could he be a setup guy, though? Yeah, could be. Could be. And uh, I guess in some respects, because he has some, you know, has some experience closing, I guess he could – compete for that but I see him as a bullpen piece when you go back and think about 21 you know it was like hey if we could get through five or six innings with the lead as dominant as the bullpen was we thought we'd be in good condition you know and maybe you get an inning or two along the way and you give it over to Landon Sims and it's done but uh, a good addition again I understand a little bit of skepticism due to the fact that you got the walks there because that's kind of how I see it too you know it's like hey the guy can throw really hard but it doesn't matter how hard he can throw it if he doesn't throw strikes. Uh, but again, 17 appearances on the year. Five of them were starts. He also had a couple of saves. But uh, it, if you want to be critical of the walks, you got to be also, uh, you know, in praise of, of the strikeouts. And that's that's a big part of this thing. And so now it's just about, hey, let's, uh, let's get a little better control. And Parker talked about that extensively in my interview with him. 
you know, there's some things that you can do, you know, mechanically you know, to get guys to have a little bit better control. And a lot of that, too, is just eliminating violence in the delivery. I'm not going to mention any names, but um, there's a couple guys we had last year talk about fighting the mound. It's like they never embrace the slope at, at no point. It's like they're always kind of like you can just tell they kind of stay straight up. As, as my son and I were talking yesterday, he said it's almost like they have a plank in their back instead of like really getting that chest down, letting that thing go. You know, that's the thing, too. When you really lose the slope, it's easier to hide the baseball, you know. When you're kind of standing straight up and pitching there, it's almost like you're throwing BP. And a good example of that is you, know, you get better movement on your pitches off the mound. You're not going to get the same reaction off, uh, you know, off flat ground. Like you're in the bullpen, just throwing off flat ground. You're not going to get the same bite on that slider. So you have to understand how to utilize the mound. And uh, that's what Justin Parker's known for. That's a big part of things with him. All right, we've been sitting on this story for a long, long, long time. Uh, we got a tip. Uh, our Robbie Falk reached out to me and says, hey, I got a, um, you know, got a tip on this guy. And we knew that we were looking for a catcher. And so we did a little due diligence and found out it was true. Johnny Long from Pitt is coming in to be a catcher. And uh, it's one of the things we had talked about, you know, got to get some arms. Got to get a third baseman. Got to get a backup catcher. Period. If the right outfielder comes along, and he may, he may, and many of you know who I'm referring to, we'll just see what happens. You absolutely take him. To, I don't care if you had the 89 team out here. If, you know, a guy like Braden Montgomery decides to transfer, you, you, you figure it out, right? That hadn't happened yet. He's out there at Team USA Baseball, and the pitching coach from Stanford is on that staff there. So might be a little bit awkward to go in the portal and have to see your, uh, your, one of your assistant coaches every day. So – I don't think we're going to see anything happen with him until much later. Uh, the portal deadline is July 13th. If Montgomery does anything, and I believe we're trending that way, it's probably going to be right at the deadline. All right, but Johnny Long is now a Bulldog. Johnny Long is a native of Naples, Florida. That's a good place to be from. And uh, attended Florida Gulf Coast University. And uh, then made the move from the A-Sun to the ACC. In 2022, first year at Pitt, uh, he played in 14 games with six starts. Offensive piece, just kind of okay. And then spent the uh, summer uh, up in the Cape. Last year, 2023, played in 32 games. 28 of them were starts. Of course, four of those games, he kind of comes in relief there. Uh, hit a home run. And uh, looking at the, you know, the numbers here, this is exactly what we need here. So 2023, which is his most extensive action at Pitt. Uh, what do we have here? 28 games played with 92 at-bats. That's not an insignificant number of at-bats. 23 hits, hits 250 on the year. You know, again, Ross Highfield's our catcher. What we need is a guy that can help us kind of save some wear and tear. And uh, Johnny with a couple dingers and eight rubies. And so... This is a perfect get for us. It's a guy that's not a Major League Baseball prospect, so you don't have to worry about him going into the draft. This is a guy that was uh, kind of a part-time starter at his previous destination, a chance to come back home, play in a Southeastern Conference, and we're going to play two to three catchers every single year. We'd like to have four, but we're going to play at least two and more times than not, three. Um, so when you look at last year, you know, we played three catchers, but – 
I think what you really need here is you need a guy that can catch in the midweek, and you need a guy that can catch a back end of a doubleheader, or late in the ball game we get some separation, a guy that can kind of take some uh, wear and tear off the young knees of one Ross Highfield. So this is a big thing to get Johnny Lang because everybody that goes in the portal, all these guys that are part-time starters at their previous school, they want to be full-time starters at the next. Because you only get a short time in life to play ball, right? And it's like, you know what? Hey, coach, I would love to come there, but you've got this uh, future, I don't know, first, second, or third-round draft pick, Ross Highfield. And so I don't know if I'm going to play. So I'll go to, you know, Monmouth or something and play. At least I'll be on the field. And a lot of people think that way. And I, I, I suspect I would feel that way too. I mean, I don't want to be a bench warmer at Bama. I'd rather be a starter somewhere else. And so I think that's an important aspect of this. So you get a guy like, like Johnny Lang here, that um, Johnny Long, excuse me, as we start thinking about blues music. Uh, but you start thinking about, you know, what, what, what are his goals here? Johnny Long third. You know, this is a guy that wants to complete his education, have a chance to play in the Southeastern Conference. But, uh, again, he wasn't a full-time starter last year, so he's basically leaving Pitt for a similar situation with a better program. So our needs are met here. So then we kind of move on here. Okay, the, okay, that backup catcher spot, check. We got that done. Of course, you got uh, you know junior college guy coming in too. So you feel like okay, I got three scholarship catchers. Probably, pro- probably wouldn't rule out you know, taking a developmental high school guy. The problem with that is, is you know, at some point that guy's going to have to produce. You're going to have to cut him. And so if you can't find a guy, and it's going to be tough to find a guy this late, I just kind of leave it alone. You know, run on what you got. Let a walk-on be the bullpen catcher or whatever. But three catchers should be enough to get us through the season. And then we'll kind of see how things go. And, you know, again, Ross is the dude. He is. And I know last year he had a problem at the beginning of the year with pass balls. And we've talked about it extensively on this show, man. I don't care what travel team you play for. I don't care how many times your dad's got out there and buried breaking balls in the backyard until you've had to block up a breaking ball in the dirt from an SEC pitcher with the game on the line and the runner at third, we don't know what we got. And so Ross got better and better and better and better. And I think you guys were like, you know what? I think he's going to be okay. And he is. I told you guys when we signed him, a guy's going to be a star. And he is. I'm a huge Ross Highfield fan. Huge. You know, people forget Dustin Skelton had the same problems when he was a freshman too. You know, we had to push him out there and let him him play a little bit. He had some problems kind of getting down blocking balls up too. Had some balls go right through the wickets. But, you know, Cheese and those guys did a good job with Ross, and Ross worked exceptionally hard and appears to be the dude. I don't think there's any question. All right, so now we got to finish up, right? we got to get a third baseman, period. Got to get a third baseman, and we got to get some arms. And then, again, if a difference maker comes along in the outfield, you got to take him too. But if I was making the lineup card out today, Bryce Chance is my left fielder. He was one of the top hitters on the team last year when he was healthy. He hurt his leg and took him a little while to get back. But, you know, Bryce is not going to be a big power guy. This is a doubles guy. And he's got a little bit of clutch gene in him, in it too. And then there's Connor Heisek, extremely athletic guy, probably going to end up in center field. Guy should be a double-digit home run guy. He didn't get enough ABs last year. And uh, he's tearing it up in the summer, but I don't think that he's a draft risk. We'll see. Because people forget, you know, he had a really good career at VCU before he came here. And then there's Dakota Jordan, who will uh, make the move to right, which is probably his projected professional position. 
So that's how the outfield kind of lays out. Of course, if uh, Braden Montgomery likes to come, yeah, somebody's got a DH, you know. But Braden Montgomery would probably uh, run in center field for me. Maybe it's Connor Isaac. I don't know. But uh, you have some options. So we have some offensive pieces uh, that are coming in that we think are going to be rather significant. <clears throat> you know, I'm a little concerned about Aiden Smith, our signee. Um, you know, before we'd heard he wanted to come to school, wanted to come to school, beginning to hear now as we're getting closer to the draft that uh, Aiden Smith's kind of rising up the draft boards a little bit. So he'll have a decision to make. I would probably, you know, say it's probably at best 50-50. Two weeks ago, I'd say it's probably 75 to 80% he's coming to school. But I think that he's a guy that's had a good summer. And a lot of teams are like, you know what, let's take a chance here. So that's one to really be concerned about Aiden Smith. Uh, as you kind of move forward, I, I suspect we'll lose a couple to the draft uh, out of the signing class. And we'll see how things kind of you know, progress from there. But you know, a lot of people are like, hey, why don't we go get a middle infielder? I, I'll tell you one of the reasons why is uh, Dylan Cup. You know, you go out there and you go get a middle infielder, then uh, Dylan Cup, who may end up being one of the best defensive shortstops to ever play at Mississippi State, then he'll just go sign. You know, this is a guy we expect to come in and make a, a contribution as a freshman. You know, the bat's got to come along a little bit. But defensively, this dude is legit. Absolutely legit. And so you find a third baseman. The cup goes in at short. Mershon at second. And then, of course, you feel really good about your first base piece with Hunter Hines over there. And you got some dudes, man. You do. And so you feel pretty good about this lineup. And uh, mainly defensively, we've got to shore things up on the left side. But we have got to find – you know, a, a difference maker at third base. And it's like some of you guys say, Steve, I don't even need a difference maker. You know, Mississippi State, it's been a long time since we've had – and maybe we go all the way back to Travis Chapman, right? The, we've had, you know, a really elite third baseman. Alex Detz, of course, had a couple of uh, good good years for us over at third uh, under John Cohen. But, you know, we have not had that third baseman. You know, we had – we won an SEC championship with Gavin Collins, a converted catcher, playing third base. We went to Omaha with Marshall Gilbert at third base. And that, that year we had a handful of guys. You know, we even tried, uh, you know, Gunner over at third, and that didn't work out either. But um, the reality of it is, is we need a guy that can shore up the hot corner and then probably be a double-digit home run guy. That's, that's what we really need for sure. But we have been so sketchy defensively at third base uh, over the last season. You know, anything is an improvement, right? I mean, and if you look at how well Cam James played down the stretch for us, uh, in 2021, you, know, you begin to think, man, if I can get that guy, you know, how, how would I feel about life then? If I could get, you know, that version of Cam James or a guy with comparable ability. And, of course, Cam came here to be a shortstop and uh, really felt like he was going to be kind of the poster child for the program. And, and maybe he didn't live up to that, but he had a good career here and helped us win an Eiffel championship. And I'll, I'll always remember how well he played in the postseason that year. People forget he was the most valuable player of the regional that year. Outstanding. Didn't have the great offensive, uh, you know, series when we were in Omaha. He had the big home run against Leiter, of course, in the game that we lost. But I begin to think, man, if I could get that kind of guy, you know, a guy that's capable of hitting me, a, uh, you know, ten bombs or more, and a guy that's going to make the routine play and sometimes a spectacular play, that's a kid I want. But that's probably our most pressing need outside of pitching is getting that third base piece resolved. And that's the thing I think about, too. There's only 14 SEC teams – uh, in the country, and I can say, hey, this thing is wide open. You show up from day one, you know, you're, you're going to take the, the first uh, infield. You know, you got a chance. Come here and do some big things. So, 
We'll see how things go. We're monitoring things, and again, the portal closes on July 13th. Once we get through that, once we get through the portal, kind of know, number one, we don't have anybody else leaving. Keep your fingers crossed. But also, in addition to that, you know who all is going to be in the portal. You'll know if Braden Montgomery's in. You'll know uh, some of these guys from LSU are going in. And there are a lot of guys out there that I'm hearing are kind of weighing that decision, not with us, but with other programs. And so we'll see what happens. But, again, nine days from now, the portal closes. And that will be a big sigh of relief, you know, for Coach uh, Kristen Monas and college coaches around the country. You'll get next week's draft behind you, and then you get the portal behind you. Now all of a sudden it's all right. Now all I've got left to do is kind of recruit my guys to campus and kind of help some of our, our signees kind of navigate through the draft process, the negotiation process. And so all of a sudden instead of it being a three-front war, it's just kind of one. The portal is closed, so you don't have to recruit your current players from going in. The draft is over, and so you know who's likely going to sign and who's not. And now it's just about kind of finishing up with recruiting. So things will calm down a lot for college baseball coaches here uh, in about 10 days. So that's important to understand, too. We're going to have full coverage of everything uh, over at jeanspage.com. All right, next segment of the show brought to you, as always, by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair, like uh, Blair from the Facts of Life, but you know, spelled the same but different, uh, as John Coffey told us, but uh, or something similar to that. But anyway, uh, Blair is my friend, your friend. He's a friend to all of those indeed. Blair is a mortgage professional. There are a lot of people out there that work in the mortgage business, right? And, and all due respect to them. But if you're going to work with somebody about something as important as this, you need to have the voice of experience. Blair, 22 years of experience in the mortgage lending business. Works for Fairway Mortgage, a very reputable mortgage lender. So whether you're looking to get some cash out, perhaps uh, consolidate some debt, or just buy a home, for many people, the dream of home ownership has eluded them. and They're on this hamster wheel of renting, right? It's never going to get them anywhere. You're never going to established generational wealth. You're not going to have a home to pass down to your kids or a place that you can, you know, be, what are you going to do when you retire? You know, you got to have the ability to kind of pay these things off. And so Blair can put you in a position where rather than you living in a house, you live in your own home. That's a wonderful, wonderful feeling to know that, you know what, hey, I'm investing in something. I'm not just throwing my money away and making somebody else rich. I'm, I'm investing in a home. Give Blair a text or call today at 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. And be sure and let him know you heard about him on the Boneyard. We'll appreciate that, and so will he. And we've had multiple Boneyard listeners. each Every year that Blair has been with me, he's closing out multiple Boneyard listeners' loans. And uh, so, again, work with somebody that can get things done. That's Blair Chandler at CloseAtBlair.com, the proud sponsor of the top 10 list. All right, top 10 list is Independence Day. I don't know that we've ever had a 4th of July show. As long as I've been doing it all these years, I don't think I've ever actually done one on the 4th of July. Yesterday was my birthday, and I didn't get a lot of rest. My wife was home for, I guess, 9, 10 days, which is a magical experience. You know, when you love somebody, you want to spend all your time with them. And she had to go back and work for a few days, but nevertheless. So we went out and celebrated my birthday on the 2nd, came home, and uh, my wife is so amazing. Like, and uh, I think, honestly, I am the most thoughtful person that you probably know. When it comes to buying gifts, I, I'm an elite gift giver. Honest to goodness. 
It doesn't always have to be something expensive. I'm, I'm the kind of guy that pays attention all year long. I'm thinking, you know what? This would be really cool. My mom is probably the most kind and thoughtful person that I know. Like, if she's ever met you, she probably sends you a birthday card. She's like Ron Polk in that respect without all the, the college baseball wins. But very thoughtful. So I kind of guess I get that from her. And uh, But I'm always thinking about things. My wife, of course, um, so I wrote this chapter. And uh, my wife and I, we lost our first kid to miscarriage. And uh, May 7th, 1994, one of the saddest days of my life. Absolutely gut-wrenching. And even thinking about it now bothers me. You know, it really does. But uh, it's one of those things you never get over. You just kind of get on with. But anyway, the song that was really like important to me then was uh, named from the Goo Goo Dolls. It just kind of encapsulated what I was feeling. And, uh, and I had that album, A Boy Named Goo. And uh, so my wife on birthday goes out and gets the Goo Goo Dolls Greatest Hits on vinyl. And we sat around and listened to that. And she had some pool out here at the Ponderosa. And uh, I beat her, I think, six games to four, if you're, if you're keeping up. But uh, it was a good time. And so that was my birthday celebration. But I was up late. And so then I had um, had some energy drinks late in the evening. had a tough time sleeping. And so I wanted to see her off yesterday morning. And I uh, had some things I had to do on the website. And so the day was getting away from me. And I was like, you know what? It's my birthday. I'm going to kick this thing over to tomorrow. So here we are today. I'm recording in the morning. So those of you that are traveling or kind of sitting by the poolside or whatever, just kind of chilling, you can enjoy the Independence Day. And so because it is 4th of July, we have an Independence Day top 10. Now, this is going to be all rock music. There's no James Brown living in America, which is a great track. Part of the Rocky Four soundtrack is Apollo Creed went into... Um, you know, to fight, to fight Ivan Drago. There was James Brown there. It was incredible. And Jan, that was kind of a comeback for James Brown, too. People forget that. James Brown, in many respects, had kind of faded. And all of a sudden, as part of the Rocky IV soundtrack, his career was kind of rejuvenated. You know, the godfather of soul, James Brown. So that didn't make our list. And um, there's no God Bless the USA from Lee Greenwood, which, you know, it's a wonderful song. It is. Kind of stirs at the heartstrings, but uh, this is all rock music in some variation. So this is my top 10, 4th of July, Independence Day celebratory top 10 list. Number 10, kind of a little known, kind of obscure. It's off Kiss Alive 2. Probably not a song that many of you are familiar with, but it's Kiss is rocking in the USA. It's like, you know, and I've been to Germany, I've been to London, I've been to England and all these places, but there's no place I'd rather play Rockin' in the USA. So there you go. Rockin' in the USA from Kiss, number 10. Number 9, this is a great song off Soundgarden's Super Unknown album. And that was such an incredible album. I think sometimes the deeper tracks don't get fully appreciated. You say, but Steve, Super Unknown, you know, it's, it's Spoon Man. It's Fell on Black Days. It's Super Unknown itself. And it is. It is. I would I would suggest to you too that uh, Mailman is another one that maybe uh, you need to familiarize yourself with too. Stop listening to just the hits. But there's a song kind of deeply buried on Super Unknown that is the the guitar on this is just so great. The tone on this is just so different. It's kind of this guttural cleansing song. It's Fourth of July from Soundgarden. That's your number nine track. It felt like the 4th of July. It's not technically the 4th of July, but I thought, you know what? It's my show. It's my band. We'll talk about that. 
Chris Cornell is our guy. So we're going to celebrate the music of Chris Cornell whenever we can. So Soundgarden, 4th of July, off the great Super Unknown album. I think Bad Motorfinger is the one that really brought Soundgarden from kind of a head, from a opening band to a headliner. You know, because when uh, Louder Than Love came out, you know, they went out with guns, and the next thing you know, Bad Motorfinger hit and everything exploded. But, man, when Super Unknown came out, it was like Soundgarden is for real. Unlike some other bands from Seattle that had one album, and I repeat that, one album of note, Soundgarden proved they were legit and continued to prove it. And I submit to you to this day, Soundgarden is the best band to ever come from Seattle, Washington. And that includes Pearl Jam. And I love Pearl Jam. That's, that's, a, that's a huge compliment. But Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, all right there together. But I got to tell you, Soundgarden is the best. And you know who's not on my list. Because I have a brain. Number eight, a more modern band. I love these guys. Had a chance to see them in Biloxi, Mississippi with Corn and Breaking Benjamin. And a band called uh, Silver Snakes. It's Motionless in White. Some of you were there, too. Motionless in White's America. And it's really about the state of America. It talks about likes and clicks and, you know, we take off our clothes to pay for the bills. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a criticism of uh, the unmoral, you know, climate in our country these days. So not all these songs are just celebratory of our freedom and independence, but it's one I wanted to dip into and kind of share with you. Most of you don't know Motionless and White anyway. This is a band that really gets after it. Incredible. And if you are an Ink Master fan, the first ever female Ink Master, the beautiful and talented Ryan Ashley. She used to be engaged to the keyboard player, Motionless and White. And then they broke up, and then, um, incredibly, she was pregnant and uh, married to somebody else within short time. All right, number seven, another modern band, kind of in the same vein of Motionless. I would say maybe a little more, a little more rap influence on this one. They've recently done some stuff. Uh, with Papa Roach and Joby, uh, Jacoby Shaddix, you know, Swerve in My Lane is a good track. But it's the band Fever 333. And when they first hit the scene, like nobody knew much about them. It's all of a sudden, this great song, Walking in My Shoes, is playing on Octane. We're like, hey, this is interesting. And uh, they have become a big deal ever since. But it's Fever 333's Made in America. That's your number seven song. Number six, we're going to be classic rock the rest of the way, Okay. You're like, Steve, I don't know about these bands. It's okay. I just Listen, I don't want it to be one of these things where you, you don't grow as a person. I can come in here and stack up, you know, Toby Keith and all that kind of stuff, too, and be the same old thing over and over again. We're not going to do that. So I've introduced you to a couple things today, maybe. I think the top, I think these first four songs, many of you don't know from bands you should. Number six, it's Tom Petty's American Girl. Man, I miss Tom Petty. That guy's so, so talented. I know a lot of people, like in my generation, we didn't fully appreciate what we had in Tom Petty. You know, when we had come, Don't Come Right Here No More in that crazy Alice in Wonderland video, you know somebody was high when they came up with that concept. You know they were. But Tom Petty, an American classic, singing about an American girl. Number five, a guy from Indiana that uh, sings about the heartland, has done a lot over his career to help uh, America's farmers. Started Farm Aid. Many of you probably don't even know what that is. You're so young. But uh, there was a lot of problems with uh, federal government subsidies and lending at the time. We had kind of hit a, a balloon 
And so they had to change some things. And uh, we had a lot of farms get foreclosed on. It was a rough time in American farming. But John Mellencamp, guy started out as Johnny Cougar, became John Cougar, then John Cougar Mellencamp, and then I guess now it's just John Mellencamp. But uh, an incredible performer and a great American and uh, sings about real stuff and about real people. But uh, this song is a little more whimsical. It's R-O-C-K in the USA, also from that great Scarecrow album, which I think is probably the best one. You may disagree. That's okay. Number four, one of the longest songs uh, in American history in many respects. When I was a DJ, I'd put this on, and then I heard it through the grapevine, and I could eat and then uh, entertain my girlfriend at the time. Uh, but it's American Pie from Don McLean, and it's about you know the day that music died. You know, it's about you know Richie Valens and Buddy Holly and those guys dying in a plane crash. And maybe you didn't know that. A lot of people don't understand. That's kind of what it's about. But uh, I remember it was some. I, I signed some friends of mine up for karaoke one time, and they didn't realize how long the song was, and that was why I did it. Because like the song just goes on and on and on and on and on. Usually people get up there and sing for like three minutes. I had them up there, like the extended version. I knew the words, but I was really just kind of there to laugh at them because they were dying on stage, and they had to sit there and endure it. But it's American Pie. Great track. Number three, a band we hadn't talked about enough on the show, and Lenny Kravitz gets a lot of credit for this because he covered this incredible song for an Austin Powers movie soundtrack. I guess it was The Spy Who Shagged Me, I think. I think. I love those Austin Powers movies. Because I'm still 13 at heart. But it's Three Dog Nights, American Woman. I, have, I don't know if we've done a Three Dog Night top 10. I don't know if we have. Roy can check the archives for us. I don't know that we have. Maybe we have. It sounds somewhat familiar. I think we have. But anyway, we're going to celebrate them today with American Woman. Great, great track. Number two. Also from the 80s, 84 was a great year in music, and maybe we should go back and do that too. That 84 year, there were so many iconic albums that came out, and this is one of them. It's Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA. And it was one of those albums too that was like, it was, you know, it was Reaganomics. You know, we were in a situation that as a country, we were trying to find our footing again. And this song became anthemic to many Americans. Again, John Cougar, Bruce Springsteen, you had, you had people singing about real stuff in America. You know, nowadays, you know, there's always been some craziness in music, but uh, I don't know that there's people nowadays that are, are kind of singing about this stuff anymore. There's not as much substance to, his, to music as much these days. Everybody's so sad and depressed. You know, I don't know why we can just have a good time. Number one, and this is one of the reasons I did this list today, because I wanted to celebrate these guys, another band that we hadn't done a top ten list of, and I don't know if we could. Um, but around this time, you know, we had a, a British invasion of music in, in America. And so that was the big thing on the radio. You know, a lot of people were, you know, the, the new British invasion. And all that, they, they always, it happens like every couple of years. And it's not nearly as good as the radio people make it out to be. But the boys from Grand Funk Railroad had an answer to the British invasion. It's We're an American Band. We're coming to your town. We'll help you party down. We're an American band. So much attitude in this song, too, and, and the cowbell. And I, I love the bass line of this. This is one of those iconic songs, man. And, of course, uh, you know, Rob Zombie covered this. It's not nearly as good as the original, not even close. 
and I'm a Rob Zombie fan, but uh, when you go back and you listen to Grand Funk's version, it's incredible to me the, the, the level of percussion on this and the drummer's the singer. It's just insane. And these guys sold out, sold out Shea Stadium. It's nuts, man. Grand Funk was a great band, and I don't know that this generation has truly embraced them. So number one on our Independence Day top ten is we're an American band. I'm proud to be an American or at least I know I'm free. No, I'm not going to sing a song for you. But uh, I love being from here, and uh, I've never lived anywhere else, so I don't have a big point of reference. I've traveled extensively, and I'll tell you this. Uh, the more that I travel, the more I love being home. It's like people say, the more people I meet, the more I love my dog. Uh, and the more I travel, the more I love being from Mississippi, and I love being an American. And we have a lot of problems in this country. We do. Uh, we have a lot of people that uh, don't always agree, and I think that is the beauty of America. If two people agree on everything, only one person's doing the thinking. And I am perfectly okay with you being wrong. That's one of those things that late recovery has taught me, is letting you be wrong. I don't have to always be the constant corrector. But, uh, you know, I, of course, I've got some younger people in my family that uh, their views are still being shaped. And I think that's, you know, the love of being a parent is to watch your child mature and develop and get their own political views and find out what's important to them. Because I can tell you that the... Uh, the things that were important to me in 1992 are not nearly as important to me as they are today. You know, you begin to, to learn what matters in life. And, you know, when I was that day, I was, I was sober and I was, I wanted to put a band back together. I was, you know, I wanted to chase, you know, something great in life. And uh, I was about to get married and, and uh, you know, then you get married and you start having kids and it's like, you know, your value system changes a little bit. It does. I, I was never scared of anything, you know, when I was younger. Like, I, mean, I wasn't scared to try anything. I wasn't scared to have any experience. And, you know, then all of a sudden I had a, we had a kid, and I was scared to fly. I was like, oh, I can't put myself at risk. Or what would happen to my kid, you know? And so my value system kind of was rebuilt on that cornerstone. Is that, you know, now that I'm a parent, I have to make good decisions for myself. And that doesn't just mean behavioral. You know, it's business-wise. And I've, I've got to do be a provider for this young beautiful soul that has been gifted to me by the good lord above you know i have to change who i am and i grew up a lot and i, I give dana a lot of credit man in the early years she was raising a kid just didn't have one she was raising me you know uh but the reality of it is is that uh, we've got a great life and we got so many things to be thankful for living in america and it's like it's so funny i read all these criticisms of america from, from people that have never been anywhere it's like, oh, everything sucks. You know, well, look at the alternative, right? I'm not going to sit here and tell you we don't have a lot of problems in this country. We do. I don't remember a time that we've been um, so polarized by politics, but I'm not going to get into all that stuff. I think social media is a big part of that because of this, all this tribalism where people, they only believe that their political party is correct, that nobody else could ever have a good idea. And it doesn't matter how well-reasoned the other side's ideas are. The fact that they came up with it automatically qualifies it as a bad idea. That's just that's that's the wrong way to live. I'm just telling you, that is the wrong way to live. And I just I don't accept all this identity politics stuff. Uh, I vote for who I want to vote for, and I vote in every election. And uh, I don't always vote along party lines. I'll give you a good example of that. When uh, I was out here one day, just outside with my dogs, and this guy pulled up and uh, and he asked me to vote for him. And he was the only person in that race that stopped by my house. The only person. 
Now, a couple people would send solicitations in the mail and things like that, but this guy came to my house and asked me to vote for him. Didn't know who I was. He didn't know that Steve Robertson lived here. He just pulled up one day and says, hey, I'm running for this office, and I'm just out working the community, and I would like to ask you for your vote. And then I said, well, tell me, you know, what's your platform? What do you plan to do? And so we sat there and visited for a few minutes. And you know what? I voted for him. I voted for him. And many of you probably wouldn't. And he won. He won the election. And it wasn't by one vote either. He won. And I thought to myself, this is a guy, too, that probably already has kind of a built-in group of constituents. But here he is out here hustling and still asking for votes. I I respect it, man. I do. So that's about as political as we're going to get on the show. Uh, But, again, I just encourage you to think for yourself. Don't just paint with a broad brush and say, well, if this side came up with it, they got to be stupid. No, that's, you know, the the partisans uh, at times are the ruin of this country, if that's the truth of the matter, if that is the absolute truth. It's the moderates at the end of the day that that change things. And so uh, I think in order to get the moderates on your side of things, you got to be you got to be a little diplomatic at times. But nevertheless, I guess if we're going to talk about politics, we'll talk about Independence Day. But that's, again, as political as I get, um, at least publicly. I've got some very strong opinions about things. I just don't always share them on this show. Because I want everybody, I don't care who you vote for, I want you to come here and be able to enjoy the show. Because this is a maroon state. All right, next segment of the show is always brought to you by Campus Bookmart, a Stark Billion institution. Campus Bookmart will cure what ails you. Right now, many of you are thinking, you know what, hey, it's 4th of July, we're having a good time. You don't realize we're under 60 days away from the start of college football season. How about that? We're almost there, kids, almost. Matter of fact, when uh, the guys get back, we'll be getting into fall camp. So we'll have some uh, fall coverage for you over at jeanspage.com. That said, it's time to start thinking about that game day outfit. Many of you ladies... You know, part of your goal in life, it's a little like college girls. When uh, you come back to campus, we support that. And uh, you can find some great fashion at Campus Bookmark. Go buy an outfit the entire family and get them ready for college football season. The best selection of Mississippi State merchandise in the non-universe is at Campus Bookmark. Bully Shaw has been completely renovated. Completely renovated. All upstairs. You don't have to take the, the walk down anymore. It allowed them to expand their selection of Mississippi State merch. Whether you're looking to outfit your your home, your family, your pet, whatever, uh, everything you need for the hard to buy for a Bulldog can be found at Campus Bookmart. And if you can't make it to town to peruse their fine selections, visit them on the World Wide Web, courtesy of Al Gore's internet at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than $75, absolutely incomplete. Again, it's campusbookmart.net. All right, let's talk about some football newcomers. That's always the big thing. Like, we do always talk about, oh, this guy's returning. Listen, we've got some guys coming in right now that you're unfamiliar with that you're going to know pretty well before it all said and done. Now, I would say, you know, you look up and down – you know, the starting lineup. I mean, there's there's not a lot of room with the first-team offense. There's not a lot of seats at the table. Obviously, we're going to have a new tight end because we haven't utilized him. And we've got an old name back in a new place. That is Jaquarius Spivey. We expect him to be TE1. He'll compete, obviously, with uh, Riley Goday, a transfer from Georgia. But outside of that, we have basically – 
with the exception of LaQuince and Sharp, we have basically just about the entire two deep back. It's true. Maybe hadn't thought about that. Uh, as, as we get ready to play a game, you know, southeastern Louisiana will be a big part of that. You know, DJ was kind of a part-time starter at running back, but you got just about everybody else back. Uh, you know, Jaden Wiley, Justin Robinson, Tulu Griffin, this would be your, probably your starting three receivers. Then, you know, left tackle, working left to right, Nick Jones, Dollar Bill Johnson, Cole Smith will probably slide in and be your starting center. Stephen Lasoya working some at right guard. And then Cam Jones, who uh, suffered an Achilles tear late in the year, uh, will probably be your right tackle. And then there's Jaquarius Spivey, Will Rogers, and, and Jaquavius Mark. So we expect Spivey uh, to be a guy – uh, that came in from TCU to do some big things for us. People forget he was the hero of the spring game here a couple years ago and then immediately went and got in the portal. Now he's got his degree. Now he's here. On the second team, offense, again, you, you know, a little bit of a change here. Again, Rylan Godet, we expect him to, uh, to be on the field significantly. And then there's Mike Wright, a transfer from Vanderbilt, a quarterback, completely different skill set from Will Rogers. And so while he'll compete, I think Mike is a guy that cannot, can be a gadget guy, but also, too, I think about in the red zone, when you've got the threat to run from the quarterback, you've got to account for the quarterback. Because Will Rogers, listen, we love Will. We do. Will is not the most fleet of foot. And so Will is not that threat in the red zone. I think Mike Wright becomes that guy on third and short, becomes that guy in the red zone that kind of keeps people honest. It's an important thing to look at. And, uh, again, I like, I like the way this thing, you know, shakes loose, you know, kind of behind them. You know, with uh, you, know, you know Xavier Thomas is going to play a good bit. Going to be a great punt returner for us. Jordan Mosley's a guy that was a little bit underutilized last year. And then Percy Lewis is a guy that uh, we expect to really challenge this year at left tackle. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see some games where he starts at left tackle ahead of Nick Jones. And then we'll kind of go from there. But, um, again, Godet and Wright – while they're both currently listed on the second team, I think you're going to see them play some significant snaps. Uh, some other new names that are coming in. You know, Freddie Roberson finally got him taken care of. Jacoby Belazar. Uh, Creed Whittemore is a freshman that, of the true freshmen, may be the only true freshman to play on offense this year significantly. Creed Whittemore is outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. We saw him in the spring. Ultra, ultra impressed with him. And, and what a great contribution from Steve Spurrier Jr. to go flip him from Florida. A kid from Gainesville, Florida, flips to Mississippi State. Came to be part of the air raid. We make a change. But uh, I tell you, he was the guy that turned a lot of heads in the spring. You look up and it's 85 again, right? And you think, oh, is Austin Williams still here? No, it's Creed Whittemore. Different, different kid. But that's the guy you need to be prepared for. Well, Freddie Roberson, we're expecting him to come in. Uh, and be in that rotation at wide receiver and, and be a guy, obviously, that has, has accomplished a lot on a Division One level. And to be able to bring that level of production here would be amazing. And Jacoby Belazar may end up being the fastest guy on the team. I'd love to see him and Tulu in a race. I really would. And, and Antonio Harmon, we've been kind of waiting for, the, you know, for the, the, the light to come on for him now that he's moved to tight end. I think you're going to see him. Uh, make some big plays for us. And then, uh, you know, we talk about the running back situation. Obviously, we lose Dylan Johnson. Wish him the best. Didn't work out for us. But Woody Marks is the guy, and I think he's going to be a star in this league. I think he'll really thrive in this offense. And our Simeon Price, we don't win the Rely Quest Bowl without Simeon Price. Down the stretch, he was absolutely outstanding. Then there's Jeffrey Pittman.
uh, one of the top running backs in the country from the junior college ranks. Now he's here. So I think our depth there on offense is very good. Uh, the second team offensive line could be a little bit you know, up and down at times. But I, I, I love our starting five. I really do. I think we're going to have a really good uh, base on offense. And I think there are a lot of people that are underutilizing the experience level that we have uh, here at Mississippi State. All right, defensively, I don't know if we see a newcomer with the first-team defense. We could. We could. I think Jacoby Albert is a guy, transfer from Kentucky, that will really challenge Corey Ellington for that dog safety spot. That's a position battle that we'll watch extensively. Uh, Marcus Banks is a guy that's made the move from corner to free. I think he is a guy that uh, is going to do some big things for us. I guess Corey Ellington's actually the boundary safety. Uh, but Sean Preston's a guy, too, that um, we've gotten our scholarship money out of him. But he'll be, you know, they'll be pushed by some of these newcomers. But, you know, Chris Keyes is a guy that transfers in from Indiana. He'll be a factor at safety. You know, I think our first team safeties are going to be outstanding. The second team, the second group is where we really have to kind of uh, figure some things out. But you start running through this starting defense. Uh, DeMonte Russell, we talked about him recently. You know, he, he a couple of years of eligibility left. You know, he had the redshirt year, and then he had the injury due to the uh, car accidents and missed another year. He'll get a medical hardship year. Won't be any problem at all to get that if he so desires it. But we need him to be big for us this year. Nathan Pickering, a guy that um, has been kind of up and down at times. But you know what? We don't beat Texas A&M and College Station two years ago without pick. Jaden Crombie, a guy that we expect to go pro this year. John Lewis is a guy that was, you know, that was a big, big late recruiting battle. We beat Ole Miss on. Ole Miss thought they had him. They didn't. And you look at these backers, you know, Boogie Watson, Jet Johnson, John Lewis, talk about an athletic group. Asias Furge and uh, DeCam expected to be your starting corners. You know, Furge will be pushed uh, by DeCarlos Nicholson, who is a guy we see all around. Uh, Hunter Washington is a little bit more of a squat corner, uh, but he'll play. He'll see him a lot this summer too. But you felt really good about this group. And, again, I think really the, the one position battle you really watch is the boundary safety spot between Corey Ellington and Jacoby Albert. Corey's a guy that's shown some flashes at times, but Jacoby's a guy, too, that might actually be a little bit better athlete. We'll see how well he picks it up. And then kind of getting down the list there, we've got some um, and newcomers. you got Kamari Rogers. You know, he'll factor in at corner, play some. Radar Jones is a guy that didn't go through spring, but now he's good to go. Uh, former four-star that signed with LSU. So, you know, you know, the natural ability is there. It's just kind of getting these guys up. But, you know, we've got some dudes on defense. We've got some very significant athletes on defense. You know, Jordan Davis, having mentioned him, he and DeMonte will compete you know, back-to-back. And J.D. is a guy, too, that we think is an NFL guy. Calvin Dinkins is a guy that uh, we think is, you know, one of the next great interior linemen here at Mississippi State. Kind of see how things progress with him. But uh, I like the group. I think Deshaun Page is a guy that will play a lot, too, even though he's kind of listed as too deep right now. But I like where we are defensively. And I don't know that people are like, oh, well, they're, they're losing the whole secondary. And that's a big concern. You know, Decam is really the only starter that's back. But, you know, when I, I look at some of these guys that have left, Jackie Matthews is probably the most significant loss outside of Emmanuel Forbes. There's some other guys out there that, uh, you know, played for us, but I don't know if they can't be replaced with this new group coming in. 
Yeah, kicker was a situation last year. You know, we got better, but we still we still had some misses last year. I think Nick Bar Mira is going to ultimately win the job here. You know, there's Keelan Cremings, of course. That's our Australian punter. I think we're going to be in good shape on special teams. I, I really do. Uh, you know, Hayes Hammond is a guy that's been around for a while. Uh, so I, I feel like we're, we're, we're pretty good there. And, you, again, you look at Tulu as a kick returner, one of the elite kick returners in the country, and then Xavier Thomas. You know, so we're, I think we're going to shorten the field a little bit uh, in the return game. But, again, there's a lot of newcomers you look at and say, okay, there's transfers and there's people that we're excited about. And then you kind of where do we go from there, you know. Uh, but but the, the good thing is we're not having to rely on a lot of newcomers to fill the quality too deep. When you think about it, I mean, obviously the tight end position, we didn't even have that before. So, obviously you're going to have newcomers there. But, really, you're going to have guys with extensive SEC experience on the first team on offense and defense. And, again, you run, you, you run through the defense here and you start thinking, okay, well, you know, Ferg is a guy we just hadn't been able to run off. Is he Emmanuel Forbes? He absolutely is not. But he is a guy that is better than serviceable. And I think DCAM is the next big one. And I'll be honest with you, DCAM is a better athlete than Martin Emerson, Cam Dantzler, and Emmanuel Forbes. And Emmanuel Forbes is probably going to start as a rookie at Washington. But DCAM is a better athlete than those guys. And he'll be the guy drawing those difficult assignments this year. So we need him to make the jump. He, he was really good last year. We need him to become elite this year. But I like the group. And I like the fact that Marcus Banks now, as fast as he is, will have the opportunity to get out there and, and kind of cover in the slot. I think he is a guy that, um, you know, wanted to see the field a lot more. And I think that he is a guy, too, that, uh, you know, again, I was so impressed with him this summer. He's out there every day at camp. And he's out there like, giving water to the kids and talking to the kids and you're talking about Mississippi State. He just wanted to be around football. And so, again, I feel really good about that. And, again, you start looking at you know, not a lot of SEC snaps with that defensive line for the second group. But you think about J.P. Purvis. I mean, how good was J.P. last year You know, when, when Buki missed some time? You know, Nick Mitchell is the guy we're still kind of waiting for, you know, for the light to come on there. And, and there are times I think maybe we've recruited over him. You know, Khalid Moore's a guy we're excited about. Sakari Tillman's a freshman that uh, we're excited about. Jave Gilmore's a guy that's been around a little bit. But we have very experienced roster. And, again, I, don't, I think that is a fact that's often lost on a lot of people, these uh, SEC talking heads. But uh, I, I like our group. I like the fact that we have an extremely experienced quarterback and the fact that, I mean, when, again, you, you go up and down this – offensive line here every one of these guys has significant sec snaps under their belt yes we're losing laquinson sharp and he was the guy that called a lot of the protections but you know cole smith has the ability to do that you know cole's a guy too a very 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 physical guy plays with an edge i love cole smith's attitude i do that's a guy that loves mississippi state he's typically the first guy to celebrate once we score a touchdown too it's a guy that really enjoys the rigors of interior line play. And you have to love that because it's just so much of a physical demand on that. And so, again, I look up and down this offense and I think, okay, you know, where are we deficient? We just got to catch a football. We're going to be able to protect. We're going to be able to run. Woody Marks has been underutilized. And so, again, you think, okay, well, how are they going to handle this new formation with the offensive line or whatever? You know, basically working an attached tight end and, 
We're going to set up some motion, try to get numbers and leverage to the outside, and we've got a running back that's able to exploit that. So I expect us to be one of the better offenses in the Southeastern Conference. And there were times last year we were elite offensively. In other games, we just kind of disappeared. I think some of that is just because athletically we couldn't match up at times uh, against the elite pass rushing defenses. You know, people would just kind of line up in a seven technique and they would get after the quarterback and they would force early throws and they would get in Will Rogers' face. And that's not to say that we didn't protect well, we did, but I think we became awfully one-dimensional. And I think now that we're gonna be able to run the football with better authority, and people are going to have to respect that. So you're not going to see a lot of too high safety looks. You're going to have people having to walk a safety down in the box uh, to accommodate and account for the running game. I mean, when's the last time that you've seen us just break a big run, right? Well, it's rare because of the fact that everybody played two high safeties and at times they play a drop eight and even have three safeties on the field. And so a long run for us might have been 20 yards. I mean, now I think with Woody Marks, he's going to have the opportunity – once he breaks into the open field, to kind of run away from people and kind of power through arm tackles. I think he benefits from this scheme more than anybody else. And I think he's a guy right now, people are like, you know, I really like Woody. I think you're going to love Woody. You're going to absolutely love Woody here in the months to come because I think Woody Marks, provided he stays healthy, is going to prove that he is a sure enough guy and I think he's an NFL guy. I, I really do. We've thought that all along. And while he has led us in offensive touches, uh, in recent years, I still think that we have not really seen what all he can do as a rusher. And I think as a result, we're going to be able to, to attract more typical, multiple SEC backs. You know, in the air raid offense, it's kind of a, it's kind of a niche skill set, right? I mean, I think because of the fact that you're going to be more balanced in what you do, you're going to attract a different brand of back. I mean, again, I don't know if we didn't have connections with Woody Marks, we wouldn't have gotten him. You know, you know, people forget Quentin Culberson uh, coaches at Carver there. And so, you know, he heard a lot about Mississippi State, obviously had a chance to kind of lean on uh, Quentin Culberson. Quentin Wesley uh, had a chance to talk to him, you know, about, hey, what was it like at Mississippi State? Or getting out of Atlanta and having a chance to go play in the SEC uh, in a great atmosphere, it was big. But I don't know that we get him otherwise. I think that's an important aspect of every bit of this. And, and I think now we're going to benefit from the fact that we have him. And, and if, would we be a better team with DJ? Yeah, I think so. But I think Woody's a guy that's more than capable of carrying the football 20, 25 times a game uh, over the course of a season. And then Simeon Price is a guy, obviously, that uh, was an air raid running back. But you saw the, the gains that he made last year physically. And a guy, obviously, that uh, really good low center of gravity, runs behind his pads well. I think he's going to be just fine. And I think we're going to do some things schematically that people aren't really prepared for. And you saw some of that in the spring game. You know, how we, you know, we bring uh, Tulu across the backside formation and hit him with the puff pass. Next thing you know, he's in the end zone. So I feel good about our group. I think, the, I think our first team defense is going to be outstanding. Um, you know, and a lot of that's going to boil down to safety play. I mean, it really is. We're going to miss Tyrus Wheat. Obviously, because he was the guy that would uh, kind of eat up the old teams and kind of open up things for other people. But we need Jaden Crumbody to be Jaden Crumbody. And people forget how little he played last year. And when he came back, he still went 100%. This is the money year for Jaden, no doubt about it. And to get Buki and, and Jed back, the two most proficient tacklers in the Southeastern Conference last year, uh, that's rather significant. And we're going to be as good, be as good. Uh, as the secondary proves to be. Because I think we're going to score some points this year. And I think defensively we're a team that's going to be capable of shutting some people down. And, again, you start thinking about late in ball games when you're trying to put a game away. 
uh, having a veteran offensive line and an explosive running back like Woody Marks, I think we'll be able to, to ice games. That wasn't always the case. You know, wasn't always the case before. You know, two-minute drill, we were great. But when running the four-minute offense, trying to, you know, salt the game away, that wasn't always uh, our strong suit. I think we're going to be much, much better at that. And I think it's something to be excited about. All right, changing gears just a little bit as we kind of finish up here. The um, SEC media days will be here before we know it. You know, just a couple of weeks away. Uh, that's kind of like the first big thing, right? I mean, so you got two weeks to kind of get all of your uh, honeydew stuff done because you're going to be, want to be glued to the internet here pretty soon. And here's the thing, too. Like, I, I go to SEC media days rarely. I, I just I don't go for the dog and pony show because of the fact, number one, it's all televised. Uh, the chances of you getting to ask a meaningful question are pretty slim. And it's really just kind of a chance for the SEC media to get together and have a few drinks. It's not what it used to be. Uh, Dave Murray will have full coverage for us, but uh, I will be in Nashville. We'll go up and uh, I don't know what we do. We'll see. But we'll go hang out. But it's a four-day event now with 14 teams. Day one is going to be LSU, Missouri, and A&M. And when you look at that, you begin to think, okay, well, LSU, Brian Kelly, that'll be interesting, you know. Uh, Eli Drinkwitz, I'm sure he'll say something that'll uh, – he'll have a talking point or something to get people fired up. And then there's Jimbo. You know, is Eli on the hot seat at Missouri? I don't know. But I think Jimbo Fisher definitely is. Kelly, obviously, is safe. You win the SEC West last year and you go to Florida Citrus Bowl and you feel pretty good about your situation there. But I start thinking about this when I start looking at media days. Who are the people that enter the year on the hot seat? I think it's a pretty slim year. Will there be a lot of people that make a coaching change this year? I don't know. But when you begin to think about the fact that A&M has this, um, this belief that they should be Alabama. They think with the money that we invest and the, you know, Kyle Field and the great stadium we have out here and our fan support, we should be Alabama. Well, they haven't even been able to be Texas. You know, I don't mean it disrespectfully, but it's like A&M has the second largest budget in all of college athletics behind only Texas. And when you think about who has the better college football resume historically, it's going to be Texas. But A&M has a bit of an identity crisis, I think, in many respects. And they go out, and, of course, they go sign this crazy deal with Jimbo Fisher to get him away from Florida State. And Jimbo would have been a fool not to sign it, right? But you look at what A&M has done, it hasn't really been significant. I mean, you know, 2020, they had the decent year, and people thought they should be in the playoff, and and they had a case. But outside of that, since joining the league, A&M has just been very, very, very pedestrian. I think we would all, you know, kind of – I don't think there's really a case to be had there that, um, you know, they're not what they want to be, right? I mean, isn't that how we always see it? You know, and and let's just kind of look here. You know, since joining the league, and we'll flip down a little bit here, look at this. You know, of course, you know, the great years, the Jackie Sherrill years, right? Incredible years, Jackie Sherrill. But, you know, listen, R.C. Slocum was just kind of, you know, okay. You know, I mean, R.C. just, you know, very middle of the pack. Matter of fact, his final season, they go six and six. Then they bring in Francione, and it just, it never really, nothing really happened there. You know, Francione, four and eight, seven and five, five and six. Nine and four, a great year, lose the Holiday Bowl. And then Francione fired. They bring in Mike Sherman, four and eight, six and seven, nine and four, including the loss in the Cotton Bowl. And then seven and six, they fire him. 
bringing Kevin Sumlin. I really thought Kevin would do well there. I really did because Kevin is a Texas forever guy, and he is from Houston. And so it's a great recruiting base for them. And as soon as he gets there, of course, we, they join the Southeastern Conference. And then Kevin Sumlin in 2012, they go 11-2 and two and finish third in the West. And you're like, hey, look at this. Finished fifth in the country that year. We finally found our guy. And it was never that good again. Even with Johnny Manziel, it was never that good again. 2013, 9-4, then 8-5, 8-5, 8-5, 7-6, and, and, and they fired him. And, again, it, it, Mississippi State, you go 8-4, and 8-4, and 8-4, and you know, we'll end up naming a building after you. But at AM, they won't get it done. They bring in Jimbo, and, and they have not had a double-digit winning season since then. Of course, the big year in 2020, they go 9-1 and one and finish fourth in the country. But you start looking at this, since joining the Southeastern Conference, they have not, they've, had, they've had five seasons where they were ranked in the top 25 post-year. And one of those was in 2021 where they got in uh, at number 25 in one poll. You know, that was in the coaches' poll. But as far as the AP poll goes, since joining the SEC in 2012, they have had four top 25 finishes. That's it. Four. That's rather significant if you ask me. So is Jimbo on the hot seat? I think he has to be. I think we all probably see it the same way. It's like, you know what, they wanted to fire him last year, couldn't do it. He beats LSU which uh, upset the ball pecking order a little bit. But um, they bring in Bobby Petrino, and Petrino obviously uh, will probably fight with Jimbo, certainly. All right, Tuesday, uh, Auburn, Georgia, Mississippi State, and Vanderbilt. This should be our day in many respects. Of course, uh, we're sharing the day with the uh, back-to-back NFL champions, and uh, we go on right behind them. But uh, Hugh Freeze has returned to the SEC. You know, that'll be rather interesting. I think Auburn's a team that is somewhat talent deficient, and a lot of it's going to depend on how their transfers do, especially a quarterback. Georgia, again, they are a recruiting machine, but, you know, they don't have Stetson Bennett anymore. And that's, it's amazing to think that you, you think about how significant that is. This is a guy that was considered kind of a, you know, kind of a footnote in Georgia football, and he wins back-to-back national championships. And then there's us, and there's Vanderbilt. And uh, I like the fact that we're positioned here, but you look at this, you know, what's the story of the day? Well, can Georgia repeat? Obviously. So I kind of like what we're kind of tucked in here. Freeze's return. Kirby Smart talking about a repeat, replacing Stetson Bennett, and there's Mississippi State and Vanderbilt. I think most people, by the time we get done speaking, and the day is kind of much, pretty much over. But give Vanderbilt credit down the stretch last year. They won some games they shouldn't have. You get into Wednesday – and, again, I don't think anybody on this day, uh, on Tuesday, is in, on any danger of getting fired at all. No question. Unless something crazy happens. Right, Hugh? All right, Wednesday, Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, and Kentucky. Pretty pedestrian day in many respects. I mean, what's the hot-button issue on this day? All right, well, there's Alabama. Okay, so that means there's going to be a ton of people there, including guys in the media asking for autographs. There's Arkansas and Sam Pittman. Is Sam on the hot seat? I think he could be. I really do. I think when you begin to think about, okay, it's KJ's final year, and I'm, you know what a KJ Jefferson fan I am? I am, I, and, and as great as he is as a quarterback, he's probably a better dude. Seriously, he's from an outstanding family. Really proud of him. And um, you know, it's weird you know, that he's in the conference, but uh, I think you know 
I was rooting exceptionally hard for him last year in a couple ball games that uh, you probably were too. But I think Sam might be in trouble. Billy Napier, is Billy in trouble? You know, last year was a disappointment, and now, like, even Vegas has him projected to have a losing year. You got back-to-back losing years in Florida. Do you get to stay? Do you? I don't know if that's the case or not. You know, um, Florida is a proud program. I think if you're Scott Strickland, you, you know, obviously you played for an NFL championship in baseball, but Florida fans just don't care about baseball. Right? That's just kind of how it is. You know, you talk about being a football crazy uh, program. It's Florida. And, and there's so many things to be excited about in Florida. But you know, I think you look at the numbers here in the modern era. I mean, there is precedent to think that Billy Napier may be coaching for his job this year. Recent precedent. Will Muschamp was a questionable hire to succeed Urban Meyer. Poet didn't know it. He goes seven and six, eleven and two. Then he's four and eight. They go seven and five and fourteen, and he gets fired. Jim McElwain, of course, there were some extenuating circumstances there. McElwain goes ten and four, nine and four, and then four and seven, he's fired. Dan Mullen goes ten and three, eleven and two, eight and four, and ends up in the Cotton Bowl in twenty. So three consecutive New Year's Six games. And then he has the bad year in 2021. And Greg Knox loses the Gasparilla Bowl and Florida ruined Greg Knox's perfect coaching record. And Mullen's gone. Napier six and seven. If they go six and six or five and seven this year, is Napier gone? I'd, I'd say yeah. And I think Sam Pittman's a guy, too, that you know, needs to be mindful up there, too. A lot of people at Arkansas, they, they can't take the fact that Arkansas is on the same level as the Mississippi schools. They're basically our contemporary. And you think, we've, we've got all this money invested, uh, so, you know, we should be able to um, – we should be A&M and Alabama, and we should be Auburn. And that just hadn't been the case. And so, you know, they've renovated a stadium. It was a questionable hire in the first place. And, and it's so easy to root for Sam Pittman because he's so much like us, right? Again, he'd be a great fit here as an assistant, as I said before. But I began to work through this and ask myself, okay, guys, they fired uh, Brett Belima, And Belima had three winning seasons and then had the one bad year. And, and they weren't great years, don't get me wrong. But, you know, 13, he comes in. They go three and nine, and of course he had to get his guys in. They ended up getting Alex Collins, those guys come in. Well, then they're six and six and fourteen, and they win the Texas Bowl against and just destroy Texas. In fifteen, they go seven and five. They win their bowl game again, 45-23 over Kansas State. Sixteen, that's the year. That's when we had Peter Sermonitis, and if we had gotten you know one stop on defense, we'd probably win that game, and it makes them five and seven. Uh, but be that as it may, they go seven and five and then lose the Belk Bowl. And then the next year, it's four and eight and he's done. So, three consecutive bowl seasons and winning seasons, and that wasn't enough. And so then all of a sudden, Chad Morris comes in and Chad Morris gets two years, two years, and wins four games. 
They fire him before the year is over. Barry Looney takes over. They lose the final two. So the Chad Morris era, they go four and twenty. In twenty twenty, Sam Pittman takes over. They go three and seven. Twenty twenty one was a good year, right? They go eight and four in the regular season. They win the bowl game against Penn State. Like, hey, we're on the right track. And then last year, KJ gets banged up a little bit. They go six and six. So you kind of ask yourself, is Arkansas willing to gamble? With another year, if they go seven and five, six and six this year, it's a good question, right? And again, factor in the fact you got two brand new coordinators. You don't have Kendall Browse, you don't have Barry Odom. Brand new systems on both. You bring Danny Nose back. I think Dan did a great job at Arkansas before, but you don't have the same level of personnel. You don't have all those cluster tight ends that you did before. You don't have Hunter Henry to rely on. So offensively, it's all going to go as far as K.J. can take them. And, again, Rocket's a great guy to that. I better run the football. But they were so bad defensively last year, you begin to ask yourself, you know, what, what happens to Sam Pittman if this year doesn't go well? Maybe some questions about that. But if I'm Billy Napier, and, again, I told you guys before, he was scared of the SEC West. He takes the easier, softer way. It's crazy to think about in two years maybe coaching for his job. Stoops is fine. He's not going anywhere unless he retires. Final day, Ole Miss, South Carolina, Tennessee. Shouldn't be any question that all these guys should be back next year unless Lane Kiffin decides to take a job, you know. And I don't, and I don't expect that. I know every year people bring that up. Uh, I don't think Lane Kiffin is leaving Ole Miss until they fire him. That's just my honest opinion. And, and, and that's, you know, at least you know, a couple bad seasons away, right? I mean, there's no chance that that guy loses a job this year. Uh, I think he'd have to have a – and last year I think was a, the way it ended was a big disappointment, but I think it's because it began with such a pedestrian schedule. Shane Beamer is uh, probably the hottest coach in Columbia right now, not named Don Staley. I think those people have really kind of rallied behind Shane. And, again, that was a questionable hire. A lot of people were against it. He's done a great job. And there's Josh Heupel. Beats Alabama last year. They put a great offensive scheme together. They're an exciting team to watch. So the storyline this day is really, you know, kind of just ho-hum, right? I mean, Lane will say some things that will be kind of silly. There will be some talking points about that. Beamer will tell everybody, hey, we're going to go challenge to win the SEC East, and they won't, but that will be the discussion. The Tennessee, of course, can they build on last year's successes? And so, but again, I worked through all this, and again, there were some years you enter the season and you think, you know what, there could be a big shakeup in the SEC this year. could be a lot of coaching changes. This year, I don't think so. You know, Jimbo, of course, Eli, I just don't know how committed they are to football up there. I mean, honestly. But they get to a bowl game last year. Uh, Eli Drinkwitz could be, obviously. I think Jimbo Fisher, that, that's the hottest seat in the conference. I think there's no debate there. And, again, on Tuesday, there's no problem with anybody there. And then I think you get into Florida and Arkansas and you start thinking, you know, maybe. So there could be as many as four coaching changes, I mean, I, I guess. But outside of Jimbo, was there anybody you look at and say, yeah, he's definitely on the hot seat? I think, again, Jimbo's the hottest. And then I th- even though it's year two, I think Billy's second. And I think Sam has built some currency up there, but uh, they're going to have to win some football games. I could see, I could see uh, Arkansas going anything from five and seven to eight and eight, eight and four, excuse me. But it'll be interesting as we get into SEC media days. You know, that'll be the big discussion, you know, with a lot of people. You know, how's everybody going to do? And, which of these teams can absorb a negative season? 
There's a couple guys out there that, are, that we, I think we all agree can't. Uh, I tell you one thing, too. It's been good to get on here and talk about football today. You know, um, I, I, get, I tell you one thing I get tired of is I get tired of talking about NIL. And what I mean by that is, is like that has become so prevalent in our discussion. And, again, I'm an avid supporter of Bulldog Initiative. This is the water in which we swim. So we got to figure it out. But every time I turn around, there's, you know, there's, we, like, we can't even enjoy recruiting in many respects anymore. It's like, oh, well, you know, yeah, they committed, but we're going to come back later with a bigger NIL package. You know, the thing, there's some schools out there, I've always said I wouldn't go there unless they paid me, right? And now schools can pay. And so it's not even about coaching or opportunity for a lot of kids out there. Um, and I think some guys are going to make some really bad decisions. They're going to make some really bad decisions based on NIL. It's like, well, this school was willing to give me, you know, ten grand to sign, and this school's not. And even though school A may not be the best fit for me culturally or even athletically, I got to do what's best for me and my family. And there are a lot of guys out there that are suckers for the quick reward. And I think what you're going to see is when you build a relationship based on NIL and you build a relationship based on money, what happens when the money dries up? When next year, when I, well, they're going to keep coming. I mean, we've seen that in the past, too, before NIL was even a thing. And there are some guys that have their hand out. They never stop. Once you fill it, they never stop asking. Period. And you see it all over college football and college athletics when there are guys in the past or, or ladies, whoever, that have compromised their ethics in order to accept impermissible benefits, there becomes this relationship that is based on character defect. Can you count on that person when a game is on the line? I suspect you probably can't. And then, okay, so well, you paid me 10000 to commit. You're going to pay me 25000 to come back next year? Then all of a sudden I become a starter. You're going to pay me 50000 and all of a sudden, to keep me out of the draft, you're going to pay me 100000 You know, it's like, where does it end? So my goal is I want to have a summerless NIL conversation, right? We'll, again, promote the Bulldog Initiative. That's always going to be a part of things. But I don't want to spend, you know, these, these long segments about the latest in NIL legislation until we get, you know, some federal oversight or we get a meaningful national uh, you know, policy here. Because it's just one of those things we talk about it and talk about it. I think, number one, it confuses people. But number two, it frustrates people. It's like, why didn't somebody pick a school because that's the best school for them or that's the best coaching situation for them? You know, why, why all of a sudden do we introduce all this stuff in NIL? And, and uh, again, I like the way that we're doing things. You know, I think that's an important aspect of it. You know, we're not out there uh, throwing a bunch of money at high school kids you know, to try to get them to go to our school, unlike some other schools. And it's what, so interesting, too, how people have shifted, how the ego of the moment and the spin of the moment changes. I'll give you a good example. For years and years and years, all I ever heard about Ole Miss, even though we knew better, it's well, the growth sells itself. You know, Ole Miss sells itself. We're the dominant brand in Mississippi. Well, we, well, we've got NCAA documentation to prove that that's not true, right? But the rest of that story is now all of a sudden – now the Grove doesn't sell itself. Now, okay, well, we're having to compete, and we have the bigger NIL package. Well, wait a minute. Well, wait, wait, wait a minute. I understand things have changed here. But if you've had this magical place, well, all of a sudden is their ego involved? Well, we're, you know, we have bigger NIL. How about we go win some football games? How about that? 
It's like we have all this spin, and, and I'm not just limiting that to Ole Miss. That we have some of that too. But my point being is like we're seeing a change in college recruiting that I don't think is very positive. The one thing that I'll say is basically it is a given vehicle to people in the past that were like bagmen for different schools. Well, now there is a vehicle that they can say, hey, okay, well, we'll outbid you legally now, you know, right? And some of that was already going on, but I think it's just – it's become a game. It's almost like a poker game uh, between, you know, fan bases and donors and things of that nature. And um, I don't know that that's necessarily a good thing. And, listen, I believe in a free market economy. I do. But I think there's also some guardrails that have to be put in place. But, uh, again, I, we're, I'm going to stop talking about NIL as much on this show just because of the fact that I, I get annoyed with it too. And, again, I'm supportive of the Bulldog Initiative. I think player retention is the way to go with this thing. I think that's an important aspect of every bit of this. Again, we can't just not participate, but I think there's so many people that have gotten so much NIL fatigue that I just think it's time for us to just, you know, let's just talk about football. Let's stop talking about all this stuff. And, of course, you know, the transfer portal for baseball will close here next week, and we can stop talking about that for a while. Transfer portal for football closing, you know. So it's like, you know, we can talk about sports for a while. And that's what I love to talk about, sports. Not all this business and controversy of sport. And I think you guys feel the same way. You know, again, I, I'm just, I get so tired again. You know, I'm, I'm excited about transfer portal baseball prospects, like many of you are, right? But I look forward to soon be able to just talk about recruiting, sports, games, player development, practice reports, because I think there's so much of this now in the conversation that just, number one, people don't understand, and people just don't like. And, again, we've got to embrace where we are. But at the same time, too, it's just like every day I turn around, it's just something else with all this, and I just want to talk about sports and music. But come join us over at jeanspage.com. Come uh, be a part of that. And a uh, record number of subscribers, man. We had a fabulous June. And uh, I want to thank Chris Simonis and uh, that elongated pitching coach search. And I want to thank Zach Arnett and the staff for doing a great job on the recruiting trail. Gave us plenty of stuff to talk about. And uh, we'll be ramping up into our football coverage, uh, you know, this summer. And uh, excited about that. Got a, uh, some new riders coming aboard. One of them's already started. But uh, getting bigger and better than ever. So come be a part of it. Jeanspage.com, the 247 affiliate for Mississippi State. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. <laughs>